chapter 29. And I encourage you to read this chapter on your own. I just want to summarize some key points from Genesis 29. It's an interesting chapter. Jacob arrives and providentially goes to a well where he sees Rachel. She's his distant cousin and he's immediately smitten. It's love at first sight. We read that she's the younger sister. She has an older sister named Leah. And in that culture and custom, the older would always have to be married before the younger. So Jacob wants to marry Rachel, but he knows this custom and so goes to him and tries to strike a deal that he would like to marry Rachel. And Laban said, "Okay, but work for me for seven years. They both figured that Leah would have to be married before the end of that seven year period, but she wasn't. So Laban had to trick Jacob. Now, I think if two people deserve each other, it's these two people. If Jacob was a schemer and and deceiver, Laban wrote the book. He disguised Leah as Rachel with a face covering at the wedding. So Jacob wakes up in the morning and it's Leah there instead of Rachel. And here's one thing it says in twenty nine seventeen, Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. This this isn't an ophthalmologist giving a, a description of Leah's eyesight. This is also translated cow eyes. So Leah was homely and Rachel was lovely and beautiful. So Rachel, the name Rachel means little you lamb. So Jacob thinks he's getting a lamb and he gets a cow. Uh, Bad one, huh? Uh, I'll regret that joke. Uh, I know I will. So just think about this. Just as he hid his identity from his father, his father-in-law hides Leah's identity from him. Jacob is mad. He wants Rachel. So Laban says, yes, you can have her. You can marry her immediately. But you have to give me seven more years of hard labor. And so he does. So now he has marital problems times two. He's living in a dysfunctional home. He begins to have children with Leah and her maid and Rachel's maid. We learn in twenty nine, thirty one and thirty two. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved. How sad is that? He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, it is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. But he doesn't. If you run from God, you're going to have problems. Now Jacob has parenting problems in addition to his marital problems. He wants to go now, finally, but Laban won't let him go and says, work for me six more years. But Jacob out schemes Laban those six years and does a little genetic engineering project. Not really. He thinks it is. It's really just God blessing him and his flocks and not blessing Laban. But Jacob thinks in his own mind, I've out tricked my father-in-law. So by now, he's been on the run for 20 years. And I wonder, has he ever stopped in those 20 years to ponder his life? Did he think about how Leah became his wife? He got tricked. 
just like he tricked his father and brother. Did he ever think about Leah's feelings as the less desirable wife? Just like his feelings as being the less desirable son. Hurt people hurt people. He doesn't see the damage his schemes have been doing and impacting other people. And like us, we want to trust God and God's plan for our lives, but it's hard to wait. So we take matters into our own hands. We know what we want and we want it now. And it usually takes a crisis in our lives to get us to wake up, come to attention and see what God is really saying to us in our lives. Someone said, we don't change when we see the light. We change when we feel the heat. In Genesis chapter 31, God tells him to leave Haran and go home. 31:13. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now leave this land at once and go back to your native land. There's some important lessons in chapter 31. Again, I just kind of want to breeze through because I want us to focus on 32. But some lessons in chapter 31 is the first is follow God's directives. He says, leave now and go back home. God reminds him of the vow you made. I want you to fulfill that vow. I want you to keep your promise to me to go back home. That's where I want you to go. But Jacob's thinking, this is that's scary because Esau's back there. I don't want to go back home. But we see that he's beginning to trust God and his relationship with God, including that vow he made, is starting to kick in. Second lesson, recognize God's protection. Recognize God's protection. So he hears this command from God and obeys. But he doesn't finish well at Haran. Wherever you are, if you're going to move from your job or, or move from whatever it is, Finish well. He does it. He leaves abruptly, which makes Laban mad because he's taking his daughters and grandchildren away without so much as a goodbye. You can't con a con. So Laban begins to pursue him because there are some missing household idols that he wants back. Genesis thirty-one twenty-nine. Laban says to Jacob. I have the power to harm you. But last night, the God of your father said to me, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. So Laban tells Jacob, I was ready to hurt you and I could have hurt you. But your God prevented me and protected you. What an awesome lesson that is for us. That God is there watching over us, protecting us, maybe sends his guardian angels to watch over you. You don't even realize it, but God is there protecting you. So that that would have been a good lesson for Jacob to learn. Wow, you were going to harm me, but but God stopped you. I didn't stop you. God did. Third lesson, recognize God's blessings. Recognize God's blessings. Thirty one, forty two. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac, interesting title for God's name, had not been with me, you surely you would surely have sent me away empty handed, says Jacob to to Laban. But God has seen my hardship and the toil of my hands. And last night he rebuked you. So God has been blessing him. 
You know, all along up to this point, he's been taking credit for everything that goes his way and all his good fortune. He thought it was due to his own cleverness and smarts. But now he says, no, it was God that rebuked you and blessed me. So he's giving the glory and the honor and the credit to God. The fourth thing here we see is he admits fear. All his life, he's secretly been afraid, afraid that he would never measure up to his father, afraid of his mother's conniving ways, afraid of Esau's rage, afraid that Laban would outwit him and he would lose his flocks and wives and children. Fear makes us all manipulators. Laban asked him, why did you take my daughters and my grandchildren away? And listen to what Jacob responds in 3131. Jacob answered Laban, I was afraid. Because I thought you would take your daughters away from me by force. I was afraid. He finally admits the truth. How has fear held you back in your life from following God's plan thoroughly? The Bible says fear has torment, but love overcomes fear. Jacob, maybe for the first time in his life, is beginning to rest in the love of God, which will help overcome the fears that are in his life. Now we come to Genesis chapter 32. I want to camp here for a little bit. Just as Genesis 22 is kind of the keystone moment in Abraham's life, Genesis 32 is that for Jacob. He leaves Laban and heads home, but he gets word that Esau is on the way. Esau's coming with a welcoming party of 400 armed men. So Jacob's old nature, his scheming ways kick in at this point. What does he do? He puts the flocks out front. Then his less desirable wives and children, Leah next and their kids. Then I'm assuming and I'm being quite cynical and negative on Jacob here, I know. But I think he did this, maybe thinking, and it's just a guess, that Esau and his men will be tired of using their swords to hack up the less desirable wives and children until they finally got to him. That's how negative I am on Jacob. Genesis 32, 17 to 21. This is Jacob talking. He instructed the one in the lead. When my brother Esau meets you and asks, to whom do you belong and where are you going and who owns all these animals in front of you? Then you are to say they belong to your servant, Jacob. They are a gift sent to my Lord Esau. And he is coming behind us. He also instructed the second, the third and all the others who followed the herds. You are to say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. And be sure to say your servant Jacob is coming behind us, for he thought I will pacify him with these gifts I am sending on ahead. Later, when I see him, perhaps he will receive me. So Jacob's gifts went on ahead of him, but he himself spent the night in the camp. So Jacob stays back last where it's safe. I think he's bribing his brother with lots of gifts. We believe in our minds we deserve the wrath of those that we have wronged. Our guilty conscience tells us it's right that God judges me. Well, Esau may be appeased with gifts, but God won't be. He's going to find out that Esau's on one side and God's on the other side and he's in the middle. 
And God is not going to let him go on sinning forever and stay the way he is forever. Just like he's not going to let you or I keep on going the simple way we're going forever. Now, let's read 32, 22 to 32. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maidservants and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he went, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. This is an amazing passage. I think it gives us some insight into how God deals with a person, deals with us when he really wants to get down to business with us. He's allowed a crisis into our lives. And now we've got to deal with God. Verse 24, the mysterious wrestler. Who is this? Who is this man? I think this is a theophany, sometimes called a Christophany. It's an appearance of Jesus. I believe that's what's happening here. An appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament As a human being, we know he would be incarnated as a human being in Bethlehem. But prior to that, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus as a man, he claims Jacob claims this wrestler is God and he asked him to bless him. And the wrestler blesses him and doesn't correct his notion that I saw God face to face. This wrestler is tougher than any WWF wrestler. He injures Jacob, crushes his thigh. Remember the Gaither song, He Touched Me? I don't think this is the passage that they had in mind for that song. The thigh is the strongest muscle in the body. And so it stands for in Scripture, crushing one's natural strength. Jacob had a lot of natural strength. I remember a scene in the movie Forrest Gump, Captain Dan he, he's on the ship with Forrest and a hurricane comes up. And, and or was it Lieutenant Dan or Captain Dan? Anyway, he, he is having it out with God at that moment. So this is what kind of what I picture Jacob doing. He's having it out with God. They're going to have a, a rustling match to the death. Captain Dan or Lieutenant Dan made peace with God. And so does Jacob. But from now on, Jacob walks with a limp. He could no longer run away from God. He would have to depend on God now. And God knows how dependent he was and he would not leave him either. Every step he took the rest of his life, 
he would be reminded, God did this to me. I need him. And he's there. God becomes my crutch. Here's the first principle. Pain drives us to God. Jacob now has this pain that he's always going to feel the rest of his life. And it drives him to God. Where else can he go? God is right there. Second principle. Wrestle God until the answer comes. Verse 26. We see this. Be persistent, in other words, in prayer. What are you wrestling with this morning? An unanswered prayer of some kind could give you lots of examples of what it might be for you. But just think about it for a moment. What are you wrestling in prayer with God over? Is there that thing? Esau isn't God, isn't Jacob's problem. God is. Have it out with God. Just you and God. Go to the mat. Wrestle with God in prayer until the answer comes. Third. He was brought face to face with who he really was. In verse 27. God asked him his name. Jacob. What does that mean? Supplanter, deceiver, schemer, liar. Admit it. See yourself for who you really are. A cheat, a phony, a hypocrite, a liar, a sinner. Be honest. I know that can be tough for us. We don't want to admit it. But it is the path we have to go to have forgiveness and healing. Fourthly, he was brought face to face with who he could be. He was brought face to face with who or what he could be. Verse 28. He could become Israel. God changed his name from Jacob, schemer, deceiver, liar, to Israel, which means strives with God or prince of God. It can mean either. We can change. We can be more like Jesus. But only God does that, that inner transformation. Now, the story picks up in chapter 33, verse 4. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Wow, I picture this scene many times in my mind of Jacob limping up to, up to Esau and then bowing down to him. He humbled himself. And then Esau, I see him picking Jacob up, his younger brother, his twin, and then hugging him. And weeping on his neck. It's such a lovely scene. And a beautiful reunion and reconciliation. They got to know each other. And Jacob insists on giving him the gifts. And then it says in 33.10. I absolutely love this verse. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God. Now that you have received me. Favorably. And this is what happens when you're reconciled with someone, when you're forgiven and there's healing that takes place. It's like seeing God because God is a healer and a forgiver and a reconciler of persons that have gone astray and gone their own way and really messed up. God is there 
and just hugging him and crying together, kind of like the prodigal son and his father a little bit is kind of what I picture this scene. It's so wonderful to see these estranged brothers brought back together again. God loves bringing broken relationships back together. The last word in the Bible on Jacob is in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 11, verse 21. And it says, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. He leaned on the top of his staff. This says he always limped the rest of his life and he needed that staff to, to be able to walk. But at the very end, he was worshiping God and blessing his sons and grandsons. He is a changed man. I've got some application questions in your sermon notes there to think about this week. What schemes am I conducting that's making my life difficult? Am I in a crisis time and moment in my life? Do I need to confess any sin? Be honest. Just tell God. He can handle it. Do I need to recommit myself afresh to God? And then the idea of journaling. Sometimes journaling is a, a great uh, spiritual discipline to do. At certain times of our lives, we can look back on that time and, and note what God has done. Lord, we thank you for the Jacob story. So many lessons there. I really identify with Jacob in so many ways and Peter in the New Testament. And I think most of us do. Jacob has a lot of natural strength that he is trying to uh, gain credence with and just winds up messing things up. And that's a lot of us. We kind of think we've got to figure it out when we really don't. Teach us, Lord, that we can rely on you and trust you, that you have the plan for our life, that you want us to walk in and help us to do that. And Lord, I would pray for any kind of relationships this morning that need reconciled between family members, friends, maybe a marriage. That, Lord, you are still in the reconciliation business. That's your forte, that you would do that, that you will move in great ways in our lives, heal our past and present us with your future. In Jesus name. Amen. Let's stand.